the free for all roundtable round two let's meet our contributors this morning music teacher michelle morrow is here bob richardson news talk 1010 contributor senior counsel at national public relations and deb hutton former advisor to two ontario premiers all right well let's start with uh, ontario and let's start with a column admittedly by two people from the fraser institute so they have a fairly established agenda item but they argue that the ford administration is spending just as much if not more as the win administration and the contention, I'll start with Bob Richardson, has always been that conservatives are better fiscal managers, but it seems everything's gone out the window in this province. Well, it certainly, I I do say in Kathleen Wynne's defense, uh, she was premier for five years. Um, She she had a AAA credit rating by the bond agencies. Interest rates were low. Employment was rising. She had one finance minister. And uh, she had one surplus, and most of her deficits were in and around the $2 billion range. So she had a pretty good track record as premier, she and her uh, finance minister, Charles Souza. Um, this premier did get hit, whacked by a pandemic, as most other governments did, but his spending seems to have continued. Um, so I think both the federal government and the province need to take a look at their spending because we don't need uh, excessive spending fueling inflation. And I think uh, I think they need to uh, be perhaps a little bit more prudent and a little bit uh, tougher on the fiscal side. Deb Hutton, it kind of steals the cudgel away from the Conservatives that the Liberals or the NDP are going to be irresponsible with your money when you spend just as much as they do. Yeah, and I agree with uh, the second part of what Bob said completely. Uh, I uh, This government, while I support it in so many ways, will know that I'm not a fan of deficits and not a fan of debts because I do believe it simply pushes off for the future and for our kids what should be done today in the way of fiscal restraint. I will say this, however, on the capital side, I fully support what they're doing. On the operating side, however, which is largely what we're talking about here, when this government brought in Bill 124, which I fully supported to keep wages at 1%, everybody went nuts and everybody's looking for catch up and we even have a court decision around this. So we can complain about debts and deficits as I do, but when the government does try to do something to rein in spending, everybody says, oh no, no, don't touch me. Michelle Morrow, at the very least, we can say that uh, some of the capital spending, as Deb Hutton was mentioning, is stuff we want and need. You know, for example, the Ontario line. Yeah, I, I, I think um, there are always external factors which I think come into play with governments like like COVID happening. There was no, we never could have foreseen that. And the way the Ontario government tried to pump money into the economy and move things along, I we cannot fault them for spending money like that. But at the same time, there have been a couple gaffes in um, Ford's administration. And I feel like the easiest way to deal with that or to smooth things over in the public is to spend money. And I do believe it's going to catch up with them. And I'm with Deb. Debt makes me really nervous for my children to have to pay in the future. Ontario is looking at uh, basically mandating inspectors to fine uh, 6,000 train riders a month for fare evasion on Metrolinx. Let me come back to you, Michelle Morrow. Um, I I know they tried really hard in the coverage that we have to make us sympathetic towards certain kinds of fare evaders, but just pay your fare. Oh my gosh, I'm 100% with you there. Um, I don't necessarily think there should be a cap that you have to fine 
people. I think you'd like they have to hit 6,000 fines, I think, in a month. month. I think it should be more. You need to, to check people's tickets X amount of times every day because there are certain train rides that I've taken. I take the... Um, the Lakeshore East a lot, um, where uh, there are no fair inspections. And I I wish that there were just more inspections because you're people who can get away with it once, they're going to keep doing it. And unless we check every single train ride, no one is going to realize that, oh, I actually have to pay for this. Yeah, Bob, I don't take the GO train very often, but in the few times I have taken it, nobody's ever checked to see if I paid. Um, when I take the UP Express, I think I get checked every single time. Yeah, I, I think they're, uh, they're right doing what they're doing. There was a bit of this laissez-faire attitude that uh, came from the pandemic that, oh, I don't need to pay for pay anymore, and it's not really hurting anybody. Pay your friggin' uh, uh, fare. Uh, it, it, it's important. It's uh, uh, We need the revenue to keep a good public transit system going. Um and, and look, uh, hopefully with a lot of fair inspections over the next period of time, that'll start declining as more people pay uh, in the system. We've got kind of a think piece, I guess, in your packages today that I wanted to solicit your opinions on. And a professor from the School of Cities at the University of Toronto is going to join us to talk about this profile at 9.05. But effectively, it's trying to chart... A course for what our downtowns are going to look like. Indeed, most downtowns across North America, since office workers still aren't coming back. And Deb Hutton, I think, you know, I was saying a while ago that it was time for us to retire the idea of anything coming back exactly as it was before COVID. We live differently now. We do. And and as you just pointed out, it really does start with the notion that work from home is far more prevalent than it ever has been. And I don't think it will ultimately change. I don't think there's one solution here, John. And I think it's it's incumbent on our, our provincial and municipal governments across the country to figure out a, a sort of a multi-pronged approach. I, I do think that encouraging businesses to have their workers work from office space is a good thing, whether it's a break of some sort, whether there's an incentive program. I, I do think you solve a lot of problems if you get workers coming into the downtown core, particularly in our big cities, in the way, quite frankly, that they have in the United States. We are behind here in Canada. But I also think we need to look at populating the downtown with our universities more so than we do, with converting buildings when we can, not all of them can be, into residential places. I think, you know, there was a time when everybody was moving government offices out of the downtown core. You know, why does the Ministry of X have to be at Bay and and College. Why can't it be in St. Catharines or Timmins or North Bay? Maybe it's time for us to move some of our government offices build office buildings down to the places that we used to say was too expensive for them to be uh, when we have such a big uh, vacancy rate. So lots to do and lots that should be done uh, because what happens when you're vacant downtown is you then become unsafe downtown and none of us want that. Michelle Morrow, I used to think of, and I think a lot of people are like this, um, Zoom as an approximation of a meeting and it was just going to be a substitute. Eventually I'd get back to going to meetings. Nowadays, I go home after the show. I'm in studio now, but I go home after the show. If I need to meet somebody, I'm not going back downtown. No, I, I get the frustration when sometimes uh, people really enjoy working from home, but you do miss out on certain aspects of um, of getting together and bouncing ideas off each other. But the, also, this is coming from someone who works independently, so everything I all my opinions are from what I hear in the news and that sort of thing. I do I completely agree with Deb. Is the fact that um, when buildings are left empty or when the downtown core is not as vibrant or as um, 
well-lived, it does raise a safety issue. So I do think we need to work with that. Um, I think we need to be faster in how we decide things in the city, which I realize is ridiculous because Toronto takes forever. But I wish that there would be a decision made to start moving things forward. Not all buildings can be changed into residential. That's 100% true. But perhaps we could bring more university, more governmental offices down. Absolutely. One of the thing, one of the things that makes University of Toronto, I think, so um, attractive is that it is right downtown. And if we could encourage that with other spaces, then why not try? Okay, and Bob Richardson, I don't even know how big a, a, a office you guys have, but is everybody back in the office, or do you work remotely? How does it go? Uh, funnily enough, uh, I, I I I work remotely, but I, I went in uh, uh, last week, and uh, everybody is not back. Uh, and uh, it was a Wednesday afternoon; it was pretty quiet in the building. So there's work to do on on that score. There's three things real quick that I think need to be done on this. We got to converse. Uh, convert some off, uh, offices into uh, residential space. Uh, Councillor Brad Bradford, an urban planner, and others have got some good ideas on this. Post-secondary education expansion. Uh, we've got Laurier uh, down in the TSX McMaster up here at Avenue Road and Bloor. We should have a lot more post-secondary institutions. And we have a hotel shortage uh, number uh, of rooms in this city. So I think there could be conversions to hotels too as well. Uh, there's no silver bullet for this. This one, you got to do all three of them, uh, but that's pretty much the way you get out of this problem. Toronto police once again flagging a rise in anti-Semitism. It just seems, and maybe I'll start with Deb Hutton on this, uh, a lot of people are sort of shameless about their anti-Semitism and they try to mask it behind criticism of Israel, but it seems to be rooted somewhere else. Yeah. And, and listen, John, if we were simply talking about protests here, that would be fine. That is the country that we live in and that is what we want to see. But when that action goes into hateful messages, hateful actions, uh, there's no, there can be no tolerance for that here in this country. We have to start laying charges where possible. The police have to be so vigilant and I'm not being critical of them because I think they have been, but we also all, those of us who have a microphone, whether it's for 10 minutes a, a week or hours a week have to call this out. This isn't just a rise in Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. This is a massive, massive anti-Jewish action in this country, and it has to stop. And Bob Richardson, nobody is saying that people can't be critical of Israel, because people seem to run to that trench. It's like, well, it's just it's not anti-Semitism, it's politics. Well, then just make politics. But the actual anti-Semitism is beyond disarming. Yeah, look, being critical of the state of Israel does not involve uh, you know, uh, splashing uh, blood-like substance uh, on the doors of indigo. Uh, indigo uh, at uh, Bay and Bloor, which is uh, precisely one block from uh, where I live. Uh, look, we need to step up our police uh, uh, protection of uh, Jewish-owned businesses and schools. Uh, I think our leaders need to uh, approach this in a little bit more of a nonpartisan uh, fashion. France had a hundred thousand people out for an anti-Semitism uh, rally in uh, Paris yesterday. That was extremely, uh, I thought, effective. Um, we got to turn down the temperature. Uh, some of the leaders uh, of various groups need to turn down the temperature a bit. And quite frankly, the federal government needs to uh, step up step up with funding. 
this is not a little local issue. This is an important national issue, and we got to make sure that the resources are in place, uh, that our police have them, and uh, that uh, that our uh, that the Jewish community feels uh, protected. And Michelle Morrill, you get the last word on this one. I just find uh, a lot of Jewish people I know are actually living in a state of fear right now. I I, I can a hundred percent believe that. Look at the images of the spray painting and the blood on the Star of David. It's awful. And I wish we could really hammer home that the people, you can hear me hitting my table, sorry. Um, <laughs> the people are not the government. The Jewish people are not the government. The Palestinians are not the, are not Hamas. There is such a difference. And the second um, any protesting co- crosses that line, that's when we need to act. That's when we need to say, hey, this you, you can't do this. We need to break, make sure there is protection for people who are not the government and are being blamed for what the government is doing. Thank you all. We're going to call it there. My thanks to Deb Hutton, Michelle Morrow, and Bob Richardson. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.